happens sometimes that we experience something magnificent and there is a lot to take in. Imagine being blown away by the beauty of a, a place like Gates Pass. You go out there and you climb the, the rocky hills and you find a, a space to, to sit for a little bit. And you look at the valley that, that spreads out before you. And you watch the hawks soaring above the saguaros with their arms reaching up as if they're pointing to the sun that's slowly sinking down toward the horizon. And there you sit, trying to take it all in. Moments like that are, are special. They're memorable, especially if you're, you're taking those in with, with someone else. Jesus' closest friends, Peter, James, and John, uh, men that he had nicknamed the Rock and the Sons of Thunder, were privileged to take a little hike with him up a mountainside. And there on that mountain, they saw something that was so unusual, so out of the norm, so glorious. It was a lot to take in, even more than they could handle more than they could comprehend uh, in that moment. There was a beauty and there was majesty and there was significance. But at the same time, it was also terrifying. This morning, we're going to imagine what it would be like to, to sit there with Peter and James and John Transfiguration of Jesus. And if you'll sit and you'll take in the glory of Christ, you'll see who he truly is, and you'll see your place before God, and you'll hear what you're to do. That trek up the mountain happened after a few important things, some of which you may remember. You might remember uh, about a week before this, Peter had made his bold confession about Christ, saying that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God followed by Jesus explaining to his disciples that he was going to suffer and die. And then Peter saying, Lord, this will never happen to you. And then Jesus calling Peter Satan. A little bit of a roller coaster of a conversation. Despite Peter's protest, Jesus was going to the cross. And the disciples were about to receive confirmation of this. Once they were with Jesus up there on the mountain, three astounding things happened to them that had a dramatic impact on them, not just in that moment, but for the rest of their lives. <clears throat> you may have heard this on Transfiguration Sunday's past, um, that the word that, that was used to describe the change in Jesus is a word from which we get words like morph and metamorphosis, and so we think of like a caterpillar changing into a butterfly. There was a change that took place in Jesus, too. He appeared to his disciples in a way that he never had before. On any other day, Jesus looked just like Peter, James, and John. He just looked like any other man. But not this day. On this day, Jesus was transfigured. It meant that his divinity, his godness, shined through his human body. It emanated from him. It, it came out with a light so intense that it made his, his clothing gleam. The second mind-blowing thing that happened there was that those disciples saw 
two men who had been dead for a very long time. Moses for 1,400 years. Elijah for 600. But there they were. How they were recognized, we have no idea. But think of what they represented. Elijah, a prophet who pointed to the the Savior God, who pointed to Christ. And Moses, the the man through whom uh, God gave his law, his expectations for people. And the man through whom he gave a great gospel promise that there would be a prophet who would come greater than Moses, one that they were to listen to, which is Jesus. Just think about those two glorious saints straight out of heaven standing there talking with Jesus about his his upcoming sufferings and death and resurrection. The third thing was the very voice of the Father speaking to them from a cloud that suddenly appeared and enveloped them. As if they weren't freaked out enough already, the cloud precludes their their vision, and the voice of God, the majestic voice of God, singles them out, and he says, this is my son, listen to him. Even though they were sinful people just like us, Peter, James, and John were allowed to see the glory of Jesus. They were assured that he was the son of God. He was the the one the Father had chosen to, to send out to live and to die for sinful human beings. The disciples were in awe, but they still had trouble grasping uh, what all of this meant. It was a lot to t- You and I, Jesus' disciples today, we don't get to see Jesus physically, neither in his uh, human form or in his divine brilliance. But we do get to see him through the scriptures, don't we? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, read those, and and you're able, by faith, to see Jesus. With eyes of faith, you can see him lying in that manger bed looking like any other baby. You can watch him, not yet a teenager, sitting with the rabbis in the temple, talking with them. You can look in and you can see Jesus sharing a meal with his friends. You can see him as he sleeps on a boat. You can see the the tears running down his cheeks when his friend died. True man? Absolutely. By faith, you get to see the man that the disciples saw. But as you read, you also get a glimpse of his glory. Miracles. Teaching that was so pure and perfect and unlike any other rabbis. And yes, his transfiguration. True God? Without question. By faith, you get to see the glory of God's Son just as the disciples saw. About a month ago, 11 men walked out the the door of of a house in Safford, Arizona, and they took about 30 steps toward an outbuilding in the yard, and they saw what looked like a a shed 
that was built on rails and it was slid to the side and it revealed the thing that it normally protected. A large telescope. The owner of that is the pastor in Safford. And the 11 who were there were Wells pastors from southern Arizona. We were there for a circuit meeting. The pastor there is extremely knowledgeable about the bright heavenly bodies that we can observe from earth. And he was very excited to share with us his telescope and and allow us to see the sun through it. He was only slightly amused when I said, Paul, wait, we don't need it. It's right there. What he really wanted was to show us the sun and the sunspots up close. While we were in the house, before we went out, and as we stood there, he must have told us six, seven times, do not look at the sun without a filter. A lot of damage can happen to to human eyes as they look at the intense light of the sun. This is also true when it comes to God. Serious damage awaits sinful human beings when they are face-to-face with the intense divine brilliance of God. Maybe you remember God saying this to Moses, you cannot see my face, for no human may see me and live. The prophet Isaiah had a similar experience. Jesus is true God. Even a a glimpse of his divine glory is is brilliant and blinding and, and indescribable. Three gospel writers tried, though, whiter than, than bleach can make anything, dazzling, white as light, radiant, like the sun, like a flash of lightning. The Holy Spirit gave them the best words that human beings to try to describe this, but, but you can tell. A glimpse of glory. That's what they received. And they could barely handle it. The disciples could not look at the full glory of Christ, of God's Son, without the filter of his human likeness. But the amount of glory that they were allowed to see in that moment had their knees shaking and their hearts racing, beating hard, their their minds going a mile a minute, and their consciences feeling the weight of being a sinful human being in the presence of the almighty, holy God. Imagine if that was you. Would you be scared into stunned silence like the sons of thunder? Or are you the type to babble when you're uncomfortable like Peter? (laughs) It says he didn't know what to say. He recognized the glory of the moment. The best he could come up with was to try to prolong that time. But it was a proposal Jesus completely ignored. It simply wasn't the point of the whole thing. Had we been there, we, like they, would clearly understand our place before the holy God when faced with Jesus' glory. Several weeks ago, the season of Epiphany 
the, the time that we, we consider Jesus appearing as the world Savior uh, began as we saw Jesus baptized in the Jordan River. And as he began his ministry then, we heard the Father speak. This is my Son whom I love. I am well pleased with him. And now on the mountain, as Jesus' work of salvation was coming to a close, we hear the voice again. This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. What took the Father four seconds to say took the disciples a lot longer to comprehend. The dearly loved Son of God had come to do exactly what he had told them to do. What Moses and Elijah were there talking with Jesus about at that time. The very things that that sinful human beings needed him to come to do. If that voice from heaven doesn't impress you and make you and move you to do what he says, then I'm not sure what will. The command of the Father is spoken to you and me just like it was to them. Listen to him. There are words of Jesus for us here too. Peter and James and John, they they were told to keep their lips sealed about all of this until after Jesus died and rose. This would have been too much for some people, people who were looking for a miracle worker, people that were looking for Israel's political savior. Not until he died and rose from death and ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost would people be able to understand who he was and what he did for them. But after that, they were to tell. You and I live in the after that. And Jesus' expectation for them is extended to you and me also, that that we tell people about Jesus truly being God and the Savior of the world who, who lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death for all people and who rose from death with the promise of eternal life for anyone who trusts in him. This is the promise that turns terrified souls into people who happily bask in the light of Christ's glory. This is a joy that you and I have. This is a joy that you and I have to share. The expectation of Jesus is spoken to you too. Tell. Listen and tell. Sounds so simple, right? Like the three that went up on the mountain and saw the glory of Jesus, you too have been impressed with him. You are grateful for him. This is why we find the time to listen to him through the words of the Bible. And so so we listen to him when we're here in worship and and we listen to him in the study of the word and, and we listen to him as we read the scriptures. And we tell as we comfort uh, a friend, telling them that, that Jesus, he really is the Son of God who loved them so much that, that he came here to live for them and to die for them and to give them eternal life in heaven. And we invite people to church. We tell them to, to come with us so that they can come to the mountains, so to speak, also, and, 
and witness the glory of Jesus also? The majesty of Jesus revealed must be remembered now that, that we're entering Lent, the, the season of Christ's suffering. As we come to church, we're going to hear now about how Jesus was misunderstood and how he was lied about and accused and beaten and hung up to die. And he just took it. He won't look like he looked on that mountain. The disciples would need to to remember the brilliance of that mountain and what he looked like there and the the Father's assurance that, yes, this, this was his son, the one who would do what he said he was going to do because he wasn't going to look like that. The memories of the brilliance of God's Son and what he told them about him were going to have to carry them through Jesus' suffering and to his glorious resurrection. It's the same for us. Our alleluias are going to go away now until Easter because we're going to walk alongside our suffering Savior remembering the, the dazzling mountaintop experience, but also with eager expectation for the, for the brightness of Easter morning's glory. I know that this can be hard to prioritize, hard to fit in your weekly schedule, but, but I have to tell you that coming to church on Wednesdays during these weeks leading up to Easter, that's a walk worth taking with Jesus. This is time you won't regret spending seeing his, his humanity hiding his glory through suffering and then seeing his glory bursting through, bursting through his humanity on Easter. We've gone from the river to the mountain. Next we journey to the cross and then to the garden. We'll go there together like Jesus' disciples did trying to take it all in as we prepare our hearts and our souls to experience the full glory of Christ one day in heaven. Amen.